0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. How to Speak and Write Correctly by Joseph Devlin CHAPTER 10: SUGGESTIONS How to Write, What to Write, Correct Speaking and Speakers Rules of grammar and rhetoric are good in their own place. Their laws must be observed in order to express thoughts and ideas in the right way so that they shall convey a determinate sense and meaning in a pleasing and acceptable manner. Hard and fast rules, however, can never make a writer or author. That is the business of old mother nature, and nothing can take her place. If nature has not endowed a man with faculties to put his ideas into proper composition, he cannot do so. He may have no ideas worthy of the recording. If a person has not a thought to express, it cannot be expressed. Something cannot be manufactured out of nothing. The author must have thoughts and ideas before he can express them on paper. These come to him by nature and environment, and are developed and strengthened by study. There is an old Latin quotation in regard to the poet which says, Poeta nascitur non fit the translation of which the poet is born, not made. To a degree, the same applies to the author. Some men are great scholars as far as book-learning is concerned, yet they cannot express themselves in passable composition. Their knowledge is like gold locked up in a chest, where it is of no value to themselves or the rest of the world. The best way to learn to write is to sit down and write, just as the best way to learn to ride a bicycle is to mount the wheel and pedal away. Write first about common things, subjects that are familiar to you. Try, for instance, an essay on a cat. Say something original about her. Don't say, she is very playful when young, but becomes grave as she grows old. That has been said more than fifty thousand times before. Tell what you have seen the family cat doing, how she caught a mouse in the garret, and what she did after catching it. Familiar themes are always the best for the beginner. Don't attempt to describe a scene in Australia if you have never been there and know nothing of the country. Never hunt for subjects. There are thousands around you. Describe what you saw yesterday, a fire, a runaway horse, a dog fight on the street, and be original in your description. Imitate the best writers in their style, but not in their exact words. Get out of the beaten path. Make a pathway of your own. Know what you write about. Write what you know. This is a golden rule to which you must adhere. To know you must study. The world is an open book in which all who run may read. Nature is one great volume, the pages of which are open to the peasant as well as to the peer. Study nature's moods and tenses, for they are vastly more important than those of the grammar." Book-learning is most desirable, but, after all, it is only theory and not practice. The grandest allegory in the English, in fact, in any language, was written by an ignorant, so-called ignorant, tinker named John Bunyan. Shakespeare was not a scholar in the sense we regard the term to-day, yet no man ever lived, or probably ever will live, that equalled, or will equal him, in the expression of thought. He simply read the book of Nature, and interpreted it from the standpoint of his own magnificent genius. Don't imagine that a college education is necessary to success as a writer. Far from it. Some of our college men are deadheads, drones, parasites on the body social, not alone useless to the world, but to themselves. A person may be so ornamental that he is valueless from any other standpoint. As a general rule, ornamental things serve but little purpose. A man may know so much of everything that he knows little of anything. This may sound paradoxical, but, nevertheless, experience proves its truth. If you are poor, that is not a detriment, but an advantage. Poverty is an incentive to endeavour, not a drawback. Better to be born with a good working brain in your head than with a gold spoon in your mouth— If the world had been depending on the so-called pets of fortune, it would have deteriorated long ago. From the pits of poverty, from the arenas of suffering, from the hovels of neglect, from the backwood cabins of obscurity, from the lanes and byways of oppression, from the dingy garrets and basements of unending toil and drudgery, have come men and women who have made history, made the world brighter, better, higher, holier for their existence in it, made of it a place good to live in and worthy to die in. Men and women who have hallowed it by their footsteps, and sanctified it with their presence, and in many cases consecrated it with their blood. Poverty is a blessing, not an evil, a benison from the Father's hand, if accepted in the right spirit. Instead of retarding, it has elevated literature in all ages. Homer was a blind beggar-man, singing his snatches of song for the dole of charity, Grand old Socrates, oracle of wisdom, many a day went without his dinner because he had not the wherewithal to get it while teaching the youth of Athens. The divine Dante was nothing better than a beggar, houseless, homeless, friendless, wandering through Italy while he composed his immortal cantos. Milton, who in his blindness looked where angels fear to tread, was steeped in poverty while writing his sublime conception, Paradise Lost. Shakespeare was glad to hold and water the horses of patrons outside the White Horse Theater for a few pennies in order to buy bread. Burns burst forth in never-dying song while guiding the ploughshare. Poor Heinrich Hein, neglected and in poverty, from his mattress grave of suffering in Paris added literary laurels to the wealth of his German fatherland. In America, Elihu Burritt, while attending the Anvil, made himself a master of a score of languages, and became the literary lion of his age and country. In other fields of endeavour, poverty has been the spur to action. Napoleon was born in obscurity, the son of a hand-to-mouth scrivener in the backward island of Corsica. Abraham Lincoln, the boast and pride of America, the man who made this land too hot for the feet of slaves, came from a log cabin in the Ohio backwoods, so did James A. Garfield Ulysses Grant came from a tanyard to become the world's greatest general. Thomas A. Edison commenced as a newsboy on a railway train. The examples of these men are incentives to action. poverty thrusts them forward instead of keeping them back. Therefore, if you are poor, make your circumstances a means to an end. Have ambition keep a goal in sight, and bend every energy to reach that goal. A story is told of Thomas Carlyle, the day he attained the highest honour the literary world could confer upon him when he was elected Lord Rector of Edinburgh University. After his installation speech, in going through the halls, he met a student seemingly deep in study. In his own peculiar, abrupt, crusty way, the sage of Chelsea interrogated the young man. "'For what profession are you studying?' "'I don't know,' returned the youth. "'You don't know?' thundered Carlyle. "'Young man, you are a fool.' Then he went on to qualify his vehement remark. "'My boy, when I was your age, I was stooped in the grinding, gripping poverty "'in a little village of Ecclefecken, in the wilds of Blankfarsher.' Where in all the place only the minister and myself could read the Bible, yet poor and obscure as I was, in my mind's eye I saw a chair awaiting for me in the temple of fame, and day and night and night and day I studied until I sat in that chair to-day as Lord Rector of Edinburgh University. Another Scotchman, Robert Buchanan, the famous novelist, set out for London from Glasgow, with but a half-crown in his pocket— Here goes, said he, for a grave in Westminster Abbey. He was not much of a scholar, but his ambition carried him on, and he became one of the great literary lions of the world's metropolis. Henry M. Stanley was a poorhouse waif whose real name was John Rowlands. He was brought up in a Welsh workhouse, but he had ambition, so he rose to be a great explorer, a great writer, became a member of Parliament, and was knighted by the British sovereign. Have ambition to succeed, and you will succeed. Cut the word failure out of your lexicon. Don't acknowledge it. Remember In life's earnest battle, they only prevail who daily march onward and never say fail. Let every obstacle you encounter be but a stepping stone in the path of onward progress to the goal of success. If untoward circumstances surround you, resolve to overcome them. Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, in Bedford jail, on scraps of wrapping paper while he was half-starved on a diet of bread and water. That unfortunate American genius, Edgar Allan Poe, wrote The Raven, the most wonderful conception, as well as the most highly artistic poem in all English literature, in a little cottage in the Fordham section of New York, while he was in the direst straits of want." Throughout all his short and wonderfully brilliant career, poor Poe never had a dollar he could call his own. Such, however, was both his fault and his misfortune, and he is a bad exemplar. Don't think that the knowledge of a library of books is essential to success as a writer. Often a multiplicity of books is confusing. Master a few good books, and master them well, and you will have all that is necessary. A great authority has said— Beware of the man of one book, which means that a man of one book is a master of the craft. It is claimed that a thorough knowledge of the Bible alone will make any person a master of literature. Certain it is that the Bible and Shakespeare constitute an epitome of the essentials of knowledge. Shakespeare gathered the fruitage of all who went before him. He has sown the seeds for all who shall ever come after him, He was the great intellectual ocean whose waves touch the continents of all thought. Books are cheap nowadays. The greatest works, thanks to the printing press, are within the reach of all, and the more you read the better, providing they are worth reading. Sometimes a man takes poison into his system, unconscious of the fact that it is poison, as in the case of certain foods, and it is very hard to throw off its effects. Therefore, be careful in your choice of reading matter. If you cannot afford a full library, and as has been said, such is not necessary, select a few of the great works of the master minds, assimilate and digest them, so that they will be of advantage to your literary system. Elsewhere in this volume is given a list of some of the world's masterpieces from which you can make a selection. Your brain is a storehouse. Don't put useless furniture into it to crowd it to the exclusion of what is useful. Lay up only the valuable and serviceable kind which you can call into requisition at any moment. As it is necessary to study the best authors in order to be a writer, so it is necessary to study the best speakers in order to talk with correctness and in good style. To talk rightly, you must imitate the masters of oral speech. Listen to the best conversationalists and how they express themselves. Go to hear the leading lectures, speeches, and sermons. No need to imitate the gestures of elocution. It is nature, not art, that makes the elocutionist and the orator. It is not how a speaker expresses himself, but the language which he uses and the manner of its use which should interest you. Have you heard the present day masters of speech? There have been pastime masters. BUT THEIR TONGUES ARE STILLED IN THE DUST OF THE GRAVE, AND YOU CAN ONLY READ THEIR ELOQUENCE NOW. YOU CAN, HOWEVER, LISTEN TO THE CHARM OF THE LIVING. TO MANY OF US, VOICES STILL SPEAK FROM THE GRAVE, VOICES TO WHICH WE HAVE LISTENED WHEN FIRED WITH THE DIVINE ESSENCE OF SPEECH. PERHAPS YOU HAVE HUNG WITH RAPTURE ON THE WORDS OF Beecher AND TALMAGE. BOTH THRILLED THE SOULS OF MEN, AND WON COUNTLESS THOUSANDS OVER TO A LIVING GOSPEL. Both were masters of the word. They scattered the flowers of rhetoric on the shrine of elegance, and hurled veritable bouquets at their audiences, which were eagerly seized by the latter, and treasured in the storehouse of memory. Both were scholars and philosophers, yet they were far surpassed by Spurgeon, a plain man of the people, with little or no claim to education in the modern sense of the word. Spurgeon by his speech attracted thousands to his tabernacle. The Protestant and Catholic, Turk, Jew, and Mohammedan rushed to hear him and listened entranced to his language. Such another was Dwight L. Moody, the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. Moody was not a man of learning. He commenced life as a shoe salesman in Chicago yet no man ever lived who drew such audiences, and so fascinated them with the spell of his speech. Oh, that was personal magnetism, you will say, but it was nothing of the kind, it was the burning words that fell from the lips of these men, and the way, the manner, the force with which they used those words that counted and attracted the crowds to listen unto them. Personal magnetism, or personal appearance, entered not as factors into their success. Indeed, as far as physique were concerned, some of them were handicapped. Spurgeon was a short, podgy, fat little man. Moody was like a country farmer. Talmadge, in his big cloak, was one of the most slovenly of men, and only Beecher was passable in the way of refinement and gentlemanly bearing. Physical appearance, as so many think, is not the sesame to the interest of an audience. Daniel O'Connell, the Irish Tribune, was a homely, ugly, awkward, ungainly man, yet his words attracted millions to his side, and gained for him the hostile ear of the British Parliament. He was a master of verbiage, and knew just what to say to captivate his audiences. It is words and their placing that count on almost all occasions. No matter how refined in our respects the person may be, if he use words wrongly and express himself in language, not in accordance with proper construction, he will repel you, whereas the man who places his words correctly, and employs language in harmony with the laws of good speech, let him be ever so humble, will attract and have an influence over you. The good speaker, the correct speaker, is always able to command attention, and doors are thrown open to him, which remain closed to others not equipped with a like facility of expression, The man who can talk well and to the point need never fear to go idle. He is required in nearly every walk of life and field of human endeavour. The world wants him at every turn. Employers are constantly on the lookout for good talkers, those who are able to attract the public and convince others by the force of their language. A man may be able, educated, refined, of unblemished character. Nevertheless, if he lack the power to express himself, put forth his views in good and appropriate speech, he has yet to take a back seat, while someone with much less ability gets the opportunity to come to the front because he can clothe his ideas in ready words and talk effectively. You may again say that nature, not art, makes a man a fluent speaker. To a degree this is true, but it is art that makes him a correct speaker, and correctness leads to fluency. It is possible for everyone to become a correct speaker, if he will but persevere and take a little pains and care. At the risk of repetition, good advice may be here emphasized. Listen to the best speakers and note carefully the words which impress you most. Keep a notebook and jot down words, phrases, sentences that are in any way striking or out of the ordinary run. If you do not understand the exact meaning of a word you have heard, look it up in the dictionary. There are many words, called synonyms, which have almost a like signification. Nevertheless, when examined, they express different shades of meaning, and in some cases, instead of being close related, are widely divergent. Beware of such words. Find their exact meaning and learn to use them in the right places. Be open to criticism. Don't resent it but rather invite it, and look upon those as friends who point out your defects, in order that you may remedy them. End of chapter 10